Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. Antibody-mediated rejection is one of the most common causes of allograft failure in solid organ transplant recipients. The management of patients with this type of rejection is still challenging, as there are no commonly accepted treatment guidelines. In today's podcast, Dr. Ian Tran reviews the impact of rejection on transplant recipients, reviews a proposed management strategy, and discusses how clinicians can best tailor their approach to treat antibody-mediated rejection. Solid organ transplantation has been the treatment of choice for many uh, end-state organ disease, and we do more and more transplantation every year. According to the data from United Network Sharing of Organ Donation, we had in the U.S. only, there was more than 39,000 cases of transplantation last year. Having said that, maintaining raft function for patients after transplantation is still a challenge. The incompatibility of the donor and the recipient was meant barrier. Patients eventually prolonged after transplantation, they can develop antibody-mediated rejection. So today, I would like to talk about antibody-mediated rejection, its challenges and treatment options. The objective of presentation first is to illustrate the consequence of antibody-mediated rejection or solid organ transplant receiving. And then I will continue to talk about how we can develop a management strategy for patients with AMR and outline the approach to AMR management. In the U.S., around the years of 1950, we were the first successful transplantation in identical twins in kidney transplant. And for a long time, the rejection was believed solely due to T-cell lymphocyte rejection only, and the wrong understanding about AMR was recognized until 1990, when AMR was recognized as a separate pathologic process. And during the last 30 years, with the development of diagnostic criteria, improvement in lab, and, and antibody detection, we know more about antibody-mediated uh, antibody rejection. So first, I would like to start with about pathogenesis of AMR. And this is a very complex process involving uh, antibody and complement cascade pathway. The affected natural killer cell and macrophage monocyte release some inflammation factors and cytokine, for example, here's iosis. And those inflammation factors and cytokine going to activate lymphocyte and B cell and further enhance production of plasma cell and eventually lead into production of antibody. Following that antibody, that's a complement uh, logical pathway with complement uh, activation. Eventually, that can develop to, it will lead to development of a membrane attack, complex CB, C9, MAC, and that involved in damage of endothelial uh, cells. So understanding about this complex pathogenesis process provide the insight in the development of the treatment option for the patient with the multiple potential targets for, from the medication. So as I said earlier, donor-specific antibodies is a key component of antibody-mediated rejection. There's two forms of DSA. The reformed DSA in some patients before the transplantation who have highly sensitive patients. And for those patients, they can develop early um, AMR, like right after the transplantation. 
the second firm of DSA is the novel DSA that develop in some patient and any time after the transplantation. Usually in those, the novel DSA is associated with patient who have like under immunosuppression or someone non-compliance to medication. And for those patients, they usually resent with like AMR and also acute cellular rejection, and they have less response to the therapy. So as I say about this, some consideration about that is the first thing is about its strength. They can measure by MFI, and the second is their ability to bind in with the complement uh, activation. There are three main uh, AMR phenotypes. The first one is hyperacute AMR, that is someone with preformed DSA. For, those, uh, pheno for this phenotype, patient can develop AMR within minutes and hours in someone who has present of antibody before the transplantation, and the AMR can happen within um, minutes and hours after that. That is, the incidence of hyperacute AMRs is very minimized now because uh, we have been implemented um, ABO group antigen verification, and also with improvement of tissue typing, so the incidence of AMR is really minimal now. The second phenotype is acute AMR. There's two forms, early acute AMR and late acute AMR. The early acute AMRs like, usually happen within uh, less than 30 days for transplantation in someone who are mostly rely on rapidly proliferating memory B cell with short life uh, plasma cell. And the late acute AMR usually happen like more than 30 days after the transplantation. The last phenotype is chronic AMR that can happen like takes for months to years in patients. And for those patients, they can develop some chronic vascular lesion. Like for example, in kidney, they can have uh, kidney glomerulopathy. In the heart, they can develop like um, vascular, vascular cirrhosis. And so like for lung transplantation, they can develop bronchioitis. And potentially, those patients with chronic AMR, they have irreversible allograft damage and they have shocked by survival. So now chronic AMS is considered as a clinical continuum process. Patient can develop with subclinical phase when they have appearance of DSA but no pathological evidence of graft injury or dysfunction. Eventually, for long term, by the time they can develop to the state of preclinical or acute clinical, when we can find the evidence of pathological injury and patient can have RAPS dysfunction. And when they can develop to the patient can develop to a chronic disease state when they have a like chronic graft dysfunction. The diagnosis feature in different organs and tissue is different. Sorry. For kidney and liver and pancreas, um, we have even we had a consensus criteria, mostly requirement of the resident of DSA, C40 stain, and um, by looking at the biopsy, they can have microvascular inflammation and immune cell infiltration. For the heart and the lung, even we had a consensus criteria for diagnosis. However, you can see here the presence of DSA C4D is still variable, and in the biopsy, patient can see with microvascular inflammation, yes or no, or immune cell infiltration. They could see that, and maybe they could see that. One thing to notify that allograft dysfunction is not always happen with the patient with AMR. Sometimes patient with the with the diagnosis of AMR, their allograft is still normal, or maybe their allograft, their allograft function could be not normal. So that makes the thing for diagnosis for AMRs more difficult. 
Mention with IMR, they have a shorter um, high impact of IMR to solid organ transplant recipient. In kidney, we see that up to 25% of patients develop uh, the novel DSA by 10 years, and IMR cause allorap dysfunction in nearly 60% late post transplantation. So most of the knowledge we know right now based on the patient in the kidney population because they are highest uh, transplantation population. The liver found out uh, up to 2% of patients in liver transplantation that can have AMR, largely secondary to reform antibodies. And in the heart transplant, the incident up to 3 to 5% with new diagnostic criteria, and it was proven that patients with heart transplantation with AMR, they have worse survival. The incident in lung transplantation varies between like 4 to up to 12.5%, and patients with lung transplant they have with AMR, their half their allorap survival shortened up to like two, half of the year, up to three years. So I would like to have first question: Which of the following statement is false? A. Antibody mediated rejection can occur any type of transplant. B. Pre-existing or reformed antibodies and the novel antibodies play the major role in AMR. And C. Hyperacute AMI incident has been minimized by the improved ABO antigen screening process and allocation system. Indeed, patients with chronic AMI always present with rapid dysfunction. So you can answer to porn everywhere or send a message to mailrs22333. All right. So I guess some answer here. Um, so I want I will go ahead to clarify. The right answer here is D, patient with chronic AMR is always present with rapid dysfunction. That's not true. Patient with chronic AMR, especially in early stage of uh, clinical development, they may have present with a normal rapid function. The B is right, re-existing antibody and the novel antibodies um, play the major role in the AMR. So next, I will talk about develop a, manage a management strategy for AMR. Before talking about specific treatment option, one thing I have to we, I have to notify that is there is a lot of challenge in the treatment of AMR. First of all, the disease itself is a complex process. Patient can be ha can have the AMR due to reform or the novel DSA, and they can present with just uh, an AMR only, or they can present with AMR and acute cellular rejection, which make the treatment much harder. And they can present with different phenotypes like the time of, from the transplantation, whether it's an early or acute AMR. For the AMR treatment, even we know about that. However, there's still lack of common standard treatment. And all the medication we are using right now that I will talk about is like no FDA-approved therapy, no FDA-approved indication. Uh, there's a lot of clinical trials about the treatment for AMR, but all of them like small sample or inclusive, and different center, they have different dosing approach for the treatment of AMR, and so the intervention is made, and on the study, it's like low quality of evidence. So as I said earlier, antibodies, whether reform antibodies or the novel antibodies, play the key major role in um, pathogenesis of AMR. So the key principle for the treatment of AMR play around how we can block the reduction of antibodies, how we can remove or buy the circulating antibodies, and last but not least, how we can block the effect of antibodies. So I will talk about the first treatment approach, 
to remove the circulating antibody with plasmapheresis and IVIG. So the key symbol here with plasmapheresis uh, with that section that help to remove uh, the, anti the circulating antibodies, especially in patients who have active and acute AMR. IVIG has been shown to um, induce um, B-cell apoptosis, so eventually that can reduce uh, production of antibody. The plasmapheresis and IVIG combination based on that mechanism to remove circulating antibody and with some immunodulation of the immune response. It has been used in the treatment for active AMR for a long time. Um, even without approval from FDA, it is considered as a standard of care for active AMR by expert consensus. However, having said that, the dosing, the frequency, and plasmapheresis modality is different among the center. It has been proven in some study with um, improvement in short-term outcomes. However, because it work, doesn't work on production of, to minimize the reduction of antibodies, so the long-term effect of IVIG and plasmapheresis is still a question. And even like there's some many study about this treatment combination, however, the quality of evidence is very low. Some implications as a for the pharmacist. In the U.S., we use plasmapheresis with albumin or known plasma replacement. Um, it has been proven that plasmapheresis can remove a lot of medication, especially highly protein-bound, small volume distribution, or therapeutic antibodies like IVIG, eculizumab, or reducimab. So make sure we monitor the patient undergoing plasmapheresis and dose medication after plasmapheresis session. In plasmapheresis, they use calcium citrate for as an anticoagulant. Um, anti so patients can develop citrate-induced hypocalcemia and metabolic alkalosis. So we can correct that, but but uh, with monitor calcium level and correct with calcium chloride. Um, also, they can have hypokalemia that we can require close extension. Um, plasmapheresis can deplete coagulation factor. Patient can have high risk of bleeding. Uh, AC inhibitor ARB-related hypotension during the session of plasmapheresis. So we recommend to um, horn AC inhibitor or ARB within 24 hours before plasmapheresis session. IVIG, as you may know, patient can have some infusion reaction which require pre-medication with diphenyramine, acetaminophen, and maybe consider steroid with low infusion. Um, again, that's recommended to be after plasmapheresis session. Uh, IVHE patients can develop some pain or influenza-like symptoms. They can have a volume overload that could be a problem in someone, um, especially some heart transplant or lung transplant patient. Transfusion-related acute injury, which require close follow-up. Uh, Prombosis or renal failure. Also, IVHE in patients undertaking IVHE, they may have high risk of infection or septic meningitis which is require more close attention, especially among immunocompromised patient population. So to recap, plasmapheresis and IVIG, it has been proven benefit in the treatment of acute active AMR. is considered a standard of care. However, it still lack of long-term efficacy, and patients can develop some DSA rebound effect, meaning that like they can have their antibody level can go back to high normal after we stop this treatment. Um, with the evidence, clinical study with uh, conflicting result. So that's the first uh, strategy. The next strategy is to focus on the block the reduction of antibody. 
The first medication is this uh, strategy is anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody with rituximab and obinutuzumab. So rituximab is a chimeric um, monoclonal antibody targeting on CD20 uh, on the surface of most of B cell. It targets on B cell and if um, obinutuzumab is the second generation, which is believed to um, have better um, depletion of B cell. So with that, rituximab can block the reduction of antibody. Rituximab has been used for a long time for the treatment of acute AMR. However, the study results very conflicting. It's, here are some examples in retrospective center. It showed that rat survival was better with the treatment of with rituximab. However, with the recent study in a phase three multicenter retrospective randomized double-line flexible control trial, Rituximab didn't show any difference benefit versus placebo. So again, just that um, the, the, the evidence of rituximab and the treatment of QAMI is very conflicting. Some implications for the pharmacist, rituximab can be used by IV and do not concentrate way by dosing for that. Uh, patient can develop infusion reaction, especially with the first infusion. Uh, they can have developed some symptoms like chills, fever, um, and we can minimize that with remedicate like acetaminophen, dafenirumine, and slow infusion. Uh, in the prescribing information, they recommend you can increase the dose after that without infusion, but most of AMR patients maybe they are hospitalized, so we recommend just continue slow infusion if you can. And during that infusion, monitor vital signs like heart rate, heart rhythm, blood pressure, and respiratory function. In case patient develop any infusion reaction, we can stop the infusion and restart at lower infusion rate, and can manage any anaphylaxis um, reaction by protocol. Before we have rituximab for patient, those patients are high risk of hepatitis B reactivation. By the guideline recommendation, we had to screen patient before the for hepatitis B and consider for antiviral prophylaxis in patients who have a history of hepatitis B infection. In patients who have hepatitis B negative, we can consider vaccination. Also, there are high risk for infection, so consider for BJB prophylaxis. Patients also can have some severe adverse events like severe mucocutaneous reaction or progressive multifocal local encephalopathy. To recap, um, rituximab uh, is the anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody, has some benefit in the treatment of acute AMR, but lacking efficacy for patients with chronic AMR, um, again, clinical study with missed results. So the next is proteasome inhibitor with proteasomib and cafuzomib. Proteasomib is reversible proteasome inhibitor that um, by locking proteasome, it enhances plasma cell apoptosis and eventually de reduce the reduction of antibody. Proteasomib is the first medication in this class. It is a reversible proteasome inhibitor. Cafuzomib is a newer medication. It's different versus potezomib is an irreversible rotaeasome inhibitor. Potezomib has very well-known dose-related peripheral neuropathy, that's if dose-dependent. Potezomib um, can be used by IV and sub-Q. Um, the sub-Q firm actually has less peripheral neuropathy for the patient. 
Agafilzonib is a new uh, medication. It, it has improved toxicity, uh, toxicity profile. Namely, it has less peripheral neuropathy for patient, and it's given by IV. So some uh, some adverse event for patient with bortezomib is a teratogenesis. So patient, woman, patient recommend do not have a pregnancy during taking um, bortezomib. They can patient can develop peripheral neuropathy. It's like dose dependent. They can have this dose side of, um, side effect after three or four dose. Uh, which can be managed by gabapentin, regabapentin, and the other medication for treatment for peripheral neuropathy. Uh, hypotension, which require close extension during infusion. They can have some uh, GI toxicity like nausea, diarrhea, constipation, and vomiting, which um, we can have follow-up on that. And pr they can have some thrombocytopenia and neutropia. Mostly thrombocytopenia is uh, transient, which can, um, the blood blood can recover after we stop the treatment with bortezomib. And we can consider to receive some primary prophylaxis because the patient can have some high risk of infection. Bortezomib, it has a very um, interesting mechanism of action because it blocks the reduction of antibody. It has some evidence in reduction of DSA in in vitro. However, its side effect, namely peripheral neuropathy, which can make the patient really hard to tolerate this treatment. Um, there is some evidence of cafuzumib, especially in lung transplantation population right now, just few. And there's still some study going on with cafuzumib. The next medication class is IOSIS and IOSIS inhibitor with tocilizumab and clazakizumab. Iosis, as you see, that's, um, is play a critical role in the development of AMR. So it can activate lymphocyte and B cell and, um, and plasma cells to develop the, the reduction of antibody. So the interaction of Iosis and Iosis in, um, receptor is critical step. By blocking the interaction of Iosis and Iosis receptor, eventually, Docilizumab and clasicizumab can reduce the reduction uh, of antibody. So docilizumab is used by the IV and way bay dosing. Um, it has the other pre-filled syringe for the sub-Q use, which should not be used for the IV for the patient. Um, again, um, they can develop some hypersensitive reaction, which can minimize by pre-medication. Patient on docilizumab, it is required to screen for TB, um, if they have a risk of TB reactivation, so we can we have to treat TB prior to start tocilizumab and monitor any active TB session during the treatment. Patient can have some serious infection, um, also GI perforation and hepatotoxicity. Uh, they can develop some hematological toxicity like neutropenia and thrombocytopenia, which require low follow-up every day. And tocilizumab, it has very um, supporting mechanism of action in reduction of antibody reduction. It has some benefit in the treatment for chronic AMR. However, in some study, patients can have rebound effect when the therapy discontinued, meaning that they can have a, another relapse if we stop the, this treatment. Um, having said that, the evidence in the treatment of AMR with tocilizumab and clazakizumab is very limited right as of right now. So the last strategy is to uh, block the effect of antibodies. The mainly medication here is complement pathway inhibition, 
with eculizumab and C1 acetate is inhibitor. Eculizumab is a monoclonal Ig antibody that work that block on the C5, and it, by working on that, it block the complement, it block the complement cascade path, uh, pathway, and uh, block the effect of antibody to endothelial cells. By FDA requirement, eculizumab has to be um, go under the RAMS program. Patient on the treatment with eculizumab, they have higher risk of meningococcal infection, uh, up to like 1,000, up to 10,000 10, higher risk of versus normal patient population. So on patient uh, going to take eculizumab, they need to have meningococcal vaccine, but meningococcal vaccine ACWY and meningococcal vaccine B more than 14 days prior to eculizumab administration. And for some reason, like for example, patient with active AMR and they can get a vaccine right away. So in that case, they need the treatment of eculizumab. We can consider to keep them on some kind of prophylaxis, with, namely with penicillin VK, 500 milligram PO uh, BID for three months until the last dose of eculizumab. The second question for those patients is, can we vaccinate them? So some consideration, first of all, this, if patient transplanted less than six months and recent use of any kind of anti-thermocyte, globulin, thermoglobulin, or alemtezumab combat. So for those patients, because the recent use of um, lymphocyte depleting antibody, it can minimize the effect of vaccine. So the recommendation is do not administer vaccine for those patients. In case patient who have transplanted more than six months and no, has not used any anti-thermocyte globulin or alemtezumab, so we can consider vaccination for those patients. In either case, we need to keep patient on some kind of prophylaxis, namely penicillin VK, 500 milligram PO, PID for three months. In case patient who have allergy to penicillin, we can console ID or allergy and several fluoxacin could be considered as a second line option. Having said that, so the dosing for eculizumab in AMR could be very confusing. Uh, so in that case, we should follow up and clarify with the, um, the transplant team, namely um, transplant consultant. If the patient with eculizumab undergo in plasma pharesis session or they have another plasma infusion for any reason, we need to repeat eculizumab dose, 600 milligram IV within one hour of session completion. Some logistics uh, from the pharmacy standpoint, whenever we verify eculizumab order, we have to make sure that patient, the breast driver enrolled in the RAMS program. If they haven't been in these program programs, we can direct the breast driver to register from the website or contact the uh, manufacturer. Uh, from the pharmacy standpoint, we can fill in the form and ensure to fill the physician name. And we need to follow up with the inventory team to make sure we had a good supply from, uh, for eculizumab. And usually, we had to label as patient-specific supply. Administration, uh, eculizumab is um, given with final concentration 5 milligram per ml. And it can be given by IV infusion over 35 minutes. For any reason, we need to extend the duration. The maximum is two hours. So eculizumab is had very interesting supporting mechanism of action to, um, and it has some benefit in the treatment for chronic AMR. 
However, it's a very high-cost medication. Eculizumab is considered one of most expensive medication in the U.S. right now. And uh, the evidence is very limited. So the question is about whether it's worth to try this medication, consider efficacy data versus the cost of this medication. So I would like to have the second question for today. A heart transplant recipient admitted due to reduced uh, ejection fraction with confirmed AMR. Patient with was transplanted two months ago and was induced with rapid anti-thymocyclobulin. Eculizumab is initiated to treat the active AMR, and patient was found to have only meningococcal ACWY vaccine given before the transplantation. So which of the following is correct? You can continue eculizumab as patient was given meningococcal vaccine more than 14 days. B, eculizumab is contraindicated for this patient. Patient needs to get both meningococcal ACWY and meningococcal B more than 14 days prior to eculizumab dose. And BC, do not vaccinate. Stop penicillin VK 500 milligram PO BID until three months from the last eculizumab dose. And D, give meningococcal B vaccine. Stop penicillin VK 500 milligram PO BID until three months from the last eculizumab dose. You can answer the question on porn everywhere or send a message to males IS. So I got the answer here. The majority of response is C. Do not vaccinate and stop penicillin VK 500 milligram PO BID until three months from last eculizumab dose. This is the right answer um, because this patient uh, just transplanted two months ago and we need to use eculizumab prior away very urgently. So in this case, we can stop penicillin uh, VK 500 milligram PO BID. Patient just transplanted two months ago with induction with thymoglobulin. So um, maybe the vaccination cannot work in this case, so the recommend is do not vaccinate for this patient. The, the B is wrong because uh, eculizumab is not contraindicated in this case. Patients just need to keep on some sort of prophylaxis for, meningi for meningitis meningococcal. And D is wrong um, because we do not recommend to have the vaccine in this case. And A is wrong. Um, because um, this patient have meningococcal vaccine for more, for more than 14 days, but just have one form of meningococcal, uh, just have meningococcal ACWY. Patient need to have two forms of vaccine, meningococcal ACU and Y and meningococcal B to qualify for the treatment of eculizumab. So last, I will talk about the, the outline approach to AMR management. So patient evaluation and clinical decision consideration is a complex process for patients with AMR. What kind of phenotype they have, how high or low DSA level, how about their RAF function, whether they have normal RAF function or their RAF function is, um, or whether they have RAF dysfunction. And it depends on the organ time and the time from transplantation and what medic immunosuppression they are taking right now. So put everything together is a very complex and require the team effort, especially from transplant consultant. And based on that consideration, it depends whether which strategy we're going to apply for this patient, for the specific patient, whether we go with blood the reduction strategy or remove the um, by the circulating antibodies or block the effect of antibody. And based on that 
we had some consideration for theory option with our plasma ferrisis, uh, ferrisis and IVIG. That's the most, uh, the fastest way to remove the circulating antibodies from the patient. And the other occasion like anti-CD20 monoclonal, like rituximab or rotiazem inhibitor or IOSIS or IOSIS inhibitor, like with potezumab and tocilizumab, most of those strategy for block the reduction antibody. And C5 inhibitor with eculizumab with the strategy to block the antibody effect. So we can select based on what strategy we're gonna go with that patient. So my last question for today, which monoclonal antibodies is a complement pathway inhibitor and block the antibody effect? All right, so I had the answer here, 100% with eculizumab is the right answer. As we see right now, treatment for MR is still a challenge, and we hope we can have future therapies with better options for the patient. The main focus right now is to look for some novel agents or some combination strategy on in some trials with current agents. Um, some novel agent and treatment option here, I have outlined here some, but are not inclusive. So we, they are still working on a lot to explore some new options for patients right now. And if you look up in some trials about antibody-mediated rejection, you can find more than you know, hundreds of studies going on. Here are some examples of ongoing clinical trials at Mayo Clinic we, can, we are doing. So potentially, you can see those patients and when you work in the, um, in the inpatient unit. And so sometimes, if, in case you have any question about that, make sure you keep contact with the cl um, clinical study coordinator and the treatment team to make sure that we follow the protocol exactly. Uh, one last thing is medication cost and patient access. Um, most medication for the treatment of AMR right now is like very high cost medication. With eculizumab only, you can see the, uh, the estimated cost for one patient could cost patient more than 500,000 a year. And um, the com complex payment factors for patient, uh, whether like how about the insulin coverage plan, and our bucket of copay and duration of therapy. And most of the, as I say, on the medication, not FDA approved therapy indication. So that made the process for payment and prior authorization is more complex for the patient. So if you have any patient with um, undergoing AMI with the treatment, so make sure you have the contact with the social worker and we at Mayo Clinic, we have a prior authorization team. They can help to work on that and by that working on that, we, we can ensure the, continue, um, the continuity of therapy for the patient. So in conclusion, management for antibody mediated rejection is still challenging. There are some variable treatment approach right now. Plasma pharesis and IVIG is still considered a standard of care. The other consideration before making a decision, like how about AMI, AMR phenotype, the treatment history of the patient, and one thing is really important about medication cost and medication access for the patient. We hope in the future with ongoing research and clinical trial to explore some novel agent and combination therapy, we hope we can have better options for the patient. Thank you very much for your attention. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.